Hey, let's give our worship team a hand. They do a great job each and every week. Thank them so much and all the media and sound people and uh, everybody that does everything. So anyway, just grateful and thankful for you guys. Grateful to be a part of this church and uh, excited about what God's doing. And I do want to, uh, again, thank you guys. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you here today. We'd love to know who you are. Be sure you fill out a Connect card and get one of your first-time gifts as you go out the door today. And then also I want to remind you guys uh, about uh, groups. Uh, we have a group that's going to be starting uh, in the month of January. This is for men and uh, guys. And so listen, we'd love for you to get connected. It's going to be on Wednesday nights at 630 uh, Steve's going to be leading that group. Steve Renner, you raise your hand over there, Steve. All right. And, uh, so he's going to be leading that group going through the book of Daniel. It, you're not signing your life away. It's just, uh, to, for that journey, but you may decide to continue to go on after that. But we would love to help you uh, grow in your walk with Jesus and really excited about this opportunity. So if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to our church center app and then you can register there and sign up, or you can also fill out a connect card and let us know you'd like to be a part of that group. So it's going to be a great, great time together. If you got your Bibles, uh, let's turn to the book of Isaiah uh, this morning, and we're going to be in chapter 9. But we're in a series entitled Christmas List. And so last week we talked about like when we were younger, or maybe you still do this, okay? Uh, you, Christmas time, you tend to put together a list of things that you think that you need. And so oftentimes, you know, we would give this and submit this to our parents or grandparents or whoever that we thought might get the items that we asked for on this list. And then last week we talked about how sometimes you get an unexpected gift, right? Something you didn't ask for, something that you didn't think that you needed, but it turns out to be the most wonderful thing that you've ever came across. And we've all had moments like that in times in our life. And so last week we talked about how Jesus was truly the unexpected gift and how much more he has brought to our lives, this world, and how he makes it available for you and I. So today, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at a familiar verse, verse 6. A lot of times people read this verse at this time of year, and this was a prophecy given to the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet of God. If you're wondering what a prophet of God was, God would speak to this individual, and then they would go uh, tell the people that they were supposed to tell what God had said. They would prophesy about things that were to come. And so Isaiah was a true prophet of God who God spoke to and God was working in his life and he was there in the kingdom of Judah. Now I said Judah because at this time Israel was a divided kingdom. So like if you're reading passages of scripture during this period of time, you will see some passages that say Israel and it's referring to the northern kingdom and then you look at where it'll say Judah in the next, it's talking about the southern kingdom. There were 10 tribes of Israel in the southern kingdom and two tribes in the northern kingdom. And so Isaiah is a prophet during this divided time in the nation of Israel, and there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of unrest, especially because Isaiah also experienced where the king Uzziah had died. Like when you read the book of Isaiah, and it talks about in chapter 6, in the year that king Uzziah died. So there was a lot of political unrest as well at this period of time. People were afraid. People didn't know what to do. People didn't know where to turn. But yet God spoke in the middle of all of this to this man of God, and then he goes and he writes this, and he shares this with God's people, telling them that one day there would be a promise. And really when we read this particular passage of Scripture right here, we see that God gives a Christmas list 
of names of this Messiah, this one that was going to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I was just curious. I asked in the first service, is anybody expecting in this room? Anybody expecting? Now, don't raise your hand and surprise somebody next to you or anything like that. Right. But like, is anybody in here? I know that there are some people are and some people are not. And, or how many of you have had kids? All right. Anybody? All right. Cool deal. We can raise. All right. So like, you know, as well as I do, naming your children is one of the most difficult things that you will do as a husband and wife. Can I get an amen? I don't know how it was at your house or whatever, but like at my house, those were very heated times. Like, Missy and I could never agree on names, right? She had a different set of names, I had a set of names, and we could never meet in the middle. Like, it was just always difficult. It was hard. Because, listen, when you name your kid, it's important. And there's a lot of things that you have to consider. There's a lot of rules when it comes to naming your kid. Like, first and foremost, like, if you or your spouse ever dated anyone, that name's out of the question, right? You could never use that name, right? Your grandkids cannot have that name, right? It just is passed on down to generation to generation, right? Or if your parents, right, ever thought a name was weird or odd or whatever, right? That name, right, is off the table as well. But, you know, it's important to think about, like, hey, listen, we've got to really consider. You've also got to consider, like, last names. Last names are very, very important. Like, it's got to flow and it's got to, like, you could be like the Mann family if you're not careful. They had a daughter and they named her Anita Mann. Now think about that for a moment, right? Having that for the rest of your life. Right? There's always the Wright family where they named their daughter Eileen, you know, Eileen Wright. And then this is my favorite right here. I came across this one right here, and I feel close to God when I hear this name. Lois Price. Right? There's also a woman who named Helen who married this guy with the last name Back. And he said after 10 years of marriage that he had been to hell. Anyway, anyway. You guys get it. So the point of it is, is that names are very, very important, right? And so when we read this passage of Scripture right here, God, God puts forth some names about the Messiah, about the one who would come. And I want to read that to us today, all right? And I hope that it brings great encouragement to your heart and to your life, okay? And it says this, all right? For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. Now, when you read this first part, this first sentence, uh, it's referring to two things. When it says, for a child is born to us, this is referring to the humanity of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was come. And when it says, for us to, uh, for to us a son is given, it's referring to his divinity, right? That he was God in the flesh. Again, we talked about this and read in the book of Colossians how Jesus was a part of creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all together and all one, all a part of that. And so for a child is born to us, referring to his humanity, a son is given to us, referring to his divinity. And it says this, that the government will rest upon his shoulders, right? There's political unrest. There's things that are happening and transpiring in the world. It can bring a lot of fear. It can bring a lot of uh, overwhelming feelings, but the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Here are some of his names that he will be called. And wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And so the one that we want to look at today is that we want to look at the word, the two words, wonderful counselor, the title, the name that Jesus has given. Part of the Christmas list that God said, listen, I'm going to give to you. You may not even know that you need this, but I'm going to extend this to you. And I want you to know that he is a wonderful counselor. Now, these two English words come from two Hebrew words, and it's referred to as Pele Yoes. 
Now, a lot of people think that Pele just means a great soccer player, but that's not true, okay? All right, Pele simply means too wonderful for words to describe, right? When you think about this, when you look at this, and when you understand this, he was saying, listen, when I'm going to describe the Savior of the world, he didn't have the words to describe him. He said there are no words great enough to tell you just how awesome, how amazing, how wonderful he is. And then Yoaz is tra- translated as counselor. It means to advise or to consult or guide. And he says, one day a son will be born, a child will be given to us, and his name will be made or named Pele Yoaz. He's the wonderful counselor. He's God in the flesh. He's the one to come. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end. And he knows everything about you and I, and he cares for you, and he understands exactly what you're going through. Therefore, you and I can have a wonderful counselor. That's why we talked about and read about in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 of last week, when it talked about how we had a high priest. We have an advocate who goes before us, who understands, who can identify everything that we encounter, everything that we go through, everything that we've been through. Jesus was tempted in every way. He was tried in every way. He experienced everything that could be thrown at him in life. He had been betrayed. He had been turned against. He had suffered greatly during his life and he gave his life willingly and so here's what we need to know and we need to remember is that we don't serve a God who doesn't understand we serve a God who understands and understands our needs he understands our pain he understands what we go through he understands when we hurt he's experienced life just as you and I have and that's why we read last week the scripture said we can approach the throne of grace boldly Like we can go to him boldly. And the good news is, is that there is one here to help. Because some of you right now, if you were honest, you would say, listen, I'm in a significant time of need. I'm going through a difficult season. I'm going through a difficult patch right now. I'm in a significant time of need. And the good news is, is there's one here to help. He's the Pele Yoes. He's Jesus, the wonderful counselor. And so when we talk about Jesus being the wonderful counselor, here's what we need to understand and here's what we need to know is that Jesus comes for the sick. And this is good news. Jesus comes for the sick. And here's why it's good news, because the truth of the matter is, is we're all sick. Sometimes we don't think that we're sick. Sometimes we don't think that we have need. Like I've got it all together. Life is good. Everything seems to make sense right now. Got this amount in bank. Bills are paid. I'm going. My job's going great marriage is going great. Like all these things are going good. But listen, here's the truth. We're all sick. We all battle strongholds. We all battle situations and circumstances in life. And the reality is, is that every single one of us need a healer. Every single one of us need a doctor. Every single one of us need a savior. And Jesus came for those who are in need. He is the wonderful counselor. There's a story in Matthew where that Matthew was called to be a follower of Jesus, to be one of the disciples of Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. You could be a lot of things in the world at that time, but if you were a tax collector, you were the lowest of the lows. Nobody liked you. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with you. The only people that wanted to hang around you were other tax collectors, right? You, you were just the lowest of low. You had betrayed your community. You had subjected yourself to the Roman government, right? You were stealing. You were taking from your own people and they were despised. They were looked down upon. 
But one day, Jesus came, and He came to the table of Matthew, and He said, listen, I want you to follow Me. And Matthew threw down everything that he had, everything that he knew. And man, he was just so excited that he decided to throw this big party. And he invited his other friends, his other tax collector friends, other sinners known in the community. And they gathered with Jesus. Now here's the deal. When religious people saw this, the people who were supposed to be close to God, they were highly upset. They thought, how in the world could Jesus hang around anybody like this? I mean, these people, they don't know what's going on. They don't know how to drink their tea correctly. They use bad words. Uh, they do all these things. And man, they're just see to be people who are just far distant from God. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, how in the world could He hang around people as this? But Jesus said something in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. He said that He did not come for those who are healthy, but He came for those who need a doctor. He came for those who were sick. He said it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy, but it's those who are sick. And then He goes on to say, I've come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. So here's the deal this morning. And here's the question. It's not a matter if you're sick. Really the question is, where are you sick? What's going on in your heart and your life? Because truthfully, we're all sick at one point of another. We have weaknesses, strongholds, dysfunctions, vulnerabilities. Where are you sick? You know, if we sit down face to face and we begin to talk and we begin to share some things and you begin to share with me about your life, you would probably, you know, I would probably see like, hey, listen, might say, hey, right there, you've talked about this. This has come up several times. And, and, and like, you know, what about talking about that? You know, what about diving in a little bit more? And a lot of times we'd say like, hey, listen, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it. Like it's hard. It's difficult. Like it, 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 it's just like, you know, I just, I just want to act like I'm fine. Others of you, right? It would just be so obvious. You're like, yeah, like this is something that I'm really struggling with, something that I'm really going through. Can't even mask it. I'm not even trying to pretend I just am experiencing this in this manner, in this way. And a lot of times when we go through the holidays, right, it magnifies these things. It, it, it just like, it, it, it puts more weight, it puts more pressure, and these things rise to the surface. It could be some of you today, thinking about where you're sick, some of you here today could be just so discouraged and so depressed at moments and times. You wake up every day wondering how you're going to get through the day. And how you feel like that you have no hope to make it through. That there's just a sense of hopelessness. Some of you may be living in fear day in and day out. There's a lot of things going on in our culture and our world. And like, you know, this whole ideal that somehow we have some sort of control. And, you know, when we realize that we don't have any control whatsoever, right? It overwhelms us at moments and times and how we wish we could fix things and make things happen a certain way. But we just live with this anxiety, right, that we have. And it overwhelms us. It overcomes us. Some of us may be dealing with stress. We have so much going on and we have no room for margin in our lives. And we look at the list day in and day out. And we're thinking like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've got all these things to do and I need to spend time with my family and all this kind of stuff. And you just feel stressed, overwhelmed. Sometimes it could be financial stress. Sometimes it could be like, hey, listen, we're having a real tough patch right now. and We're just hurting. Sometimes it's loneliness. Like in this day and age when we have so much things that are supposed to quote-unquote connect you with people, do you, do you know today people feel more lonely than they've ever felt before? 
We have all this connection, but yet people feel lonely. They feel disconnected. Some of the people may be dealing with that unnoticed, <clears throat> unwanted, feel like that I have no place. Some of you may have more of a family sickness, like your family's going through a difficult season, a difficult time. It's fragmented. There's a lot of things happening and going on. You've got some family problems and sometimes it's easier not to address them. And maybe you're even thinking about it rather than being excited about the holidays, you're not looking forward to it at all. And, and you know, maybe your family's been ripped apart. And the truth of the matter is, is some of you may have experienced hurt, just flat out hurt where you've been betrayed, where you've been wrong. And inside, you're furious. But it's overtaken your life. We could go on and on about a lot of things. Here's the point, is that we're all sick in some capacity. And the truth of the matter is, is that where we have to get to is that we have to acknowledge where we're at. We have to acknowledge what's going on in our life. And here's why I say all that today, because we truly have a wonderful counselor who is able. We have a wonderful counselor. His name is Jesus, and he came for those who are sick. Now, if we're going to experience God's hand in our life, if we're going to experience God's healing, if we're going to experience God's restoration and bring us through, there's some principles, some things that we're going to have to do with the wonderful counselor, that we're going to have to give to the wonderful counselor. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The very first one is, is that if you're going to experience God's hand in your life, if you're going to experience the wonderful counselor in your life, you have to be brutally honest with the counselor. You've got to be brutally honest. Some of you here today, like maybe if you were brutally honest, maybe you're upset with God. Maybe you're like, God, I have prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed for this to change, for something to happen, for something to make it different, whatever that is, whatever it looks like. But yet, Lord, I still find myself here. Now, I hear people talk about how good and how great and how merciful and how mighty you are. But Lord, like if I'm honest right now, it doesn't feel that way. I just want you to know, listen, God's big enough to handle that. He's a big God. And the fact that we don't feel like God's good sometimes doesn't change the fact that God is good. Like I try to remind us of this all the time. There's always going to be negative things that happen in your life. There's always going to be difficult things that happen and transpire in your life. But listen, no matter what happens, we have to look to the cross because it was there to where that God poured out his wrath, even though that we had sinned, even though that we had fallen short, Jesus took our place and absorbed sin, and gave his life, resurrected from the dead, so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. But we've got to be honest with God. There's a story in the New Testament, I love this story, and it's in John chapter 4. It's about a woman who's like a lot of us, who, who's just looking, wanting to be loved, and she wanted to be accepted, and you know, she thought that if I could just find the right person, then my life would just be where it needs to be. Everything would be all well. And, and that's what she desired. That's what she wanted. She just simply wanted to be loved and, and to be accepted. But unfortunately, she found out that men could not bring contentment and joy in your life. Can I get an amen, ladies? All right. We know this, right? We know this as men. Like, we know this. And so, like, 
she found that out. She discovered that, and, and, and she was going through a difficult season, and so she decided to go get some water one day from a well, and she was going during a period of time to where that it wasn't normal for people to be there. She probably wanted to avoid the crowd, probably didn't want anybody to see her because at this point, she's living with this guy who's not her husband now, and, and it's, she's been with many different men, and now this is a different one, and, and, but she's going one day, the scripture says one day she's going to the well, and you know how I feel about one-day passages. Whenever you're reading in the New Testament or Old Testament, it says one day, that means something significant's about to happen, something's about to transpire. She thought she was just going to get water for her physical body, but she was going to encounter a living God who was able to meet her spiritual needs and present to her the living water, and it was going to change her life. But Jesus approaches her at the well, and he begins to have this dialogue with her, and he begins to have this conversation with her. And then he asked her the question. He says, listen, why don't you go get your husband and come back and we'll continue this conversation. Now, at this moment in time right here, she had a decision to make. She could have said, well, my husband's unavailable right now. He's actually playing 18 holes, doing what guys do, right? Or maybe he's at work. He's just unavailable right now. I'm not able to get him. But that wasn't what she did. She was brutally honest. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus spoke into it and said, that's right. And this guy that you're living with right now is not even your husband. And then, but he embraced her and he gave her grace and she was changed. And God did something radical in her life. And she seen that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the living God, and that she had a personal real encounter with him. And it changed her so much that she went back to her community and she told everybody, let me tell you about this man who knew everything about me. And listen, he's changed my life. And it said that she turned her community upside down for the kingdom of God. Why? Because again, in a moment, she was brutally honest with God. And you know what? Here's the deal. When she told Jesus that, he didn't say, he met her right in the middle of the mess. That's the wonderful counselor. He's not overwhelmed by my mess, your mess, any of our mess. He meets us in the middle of the mess. Because he wants to do something that only he can do in our lives. We try to do a lot of different things and we try to fix it and we try to work it out and we try to make it work in our own understanding. But Jesus, the wonderful counselor, we've got to be honest with him. Maybe today your faith has been rattled and you just need to be honest and say, listen, Jesus, this is where I'm at. Maybe some of you today, if you're honest, like in your marriage, you're like, hey, Lord, if you don't do something, like we're in trouble. And you have to acknowledge that. If a significant change doesn't come soon, we're in big trouble. It's time to be honest. Some of you may say, you know what, I've got to come clean about this. I've been struggling with this and I have these things that are just too great and too big. Man, I have these addictions in my life and I can't do this on my own. You've got to be honest. You have to come clean. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And he's not overwhelmed by our mess. He meets us in the middle of that. But we've got to be brutally honest with him. You need to be honest so that we can deal with the sickness, to deal with our sin. We have to learn to trust him. We have to be like the psalmist in Psalm 55, 22. You can write this down. Listen to what it says. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will what? Say it with me. He will what? He will take what? care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. 
There are those of us today who just need to be brutally honest with God, with the wonderful counselor. And here's the second thing if you're taking notes. Not only do we need to be brutally honest, but we've got to listen to the counselor's voice. When he speaks, we've got to listen. Now, when I say that, a lot of people say, well, I, I don't know, like, how does God speak? Well, God speaks in a wide variety of ways. First and foremost, I want to encourage you that if you want to hear God speak, open up God's Word. When you begin to read the Scripture, God will speak to you through the Scriptures. He will point things in your life that you need to hear, that you need to see. This is God's revelation to us. When you read God's Word, God will speak to you. There are moments and times where I read Scripture, even Scripture that I've read numerous times. And it's amazing how, like, even if I've been there 50 times and I go and read it for the 51st, like, God will say something in the middle of that. God will point something out in my own heart, in my own life, and I'll hear God speak in that moment. God also speaks through other people. Maybe I've said something today at this point in juncture to where that God has spoken to you. God's got a hold of your attention. It could be that God speaks to you with the person that you're driving with down the road. It could be somewhere else. Now, I will say this. Whenever we think that we hear God speak through someone else, we should always look again in God's Word to make sure that it connects with it. God will never contradict His Word. I believe that with all my heart. And so if you're told something, if you're said some, if something's said to you and it's not found in here, then I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. I don't care what kind of quote-unquote revelation it is, right? It needs to be grounded and rooted in Scripture. This is what we know to be true. This is what we know to be infallible, okay? And so like when God speaks, like we need to make sure that what we hear is in accordance with His Word, but also God speaks through circumstances. There are situations in your life, right? There are moments and times of things where that you have experienced difficulty, heartache, right? Sometimes it can be incredible things and God moves in those moments. God provides in ways that only He can provide. Circumstances, right? God speaks to us in that and reminds us of this. There's another passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 9, verse 7 where Jesus is taking the inner three. If you don't know who the inner three were, Jesus had 12 disciples and the inner three were Peter, James, and John. They were kind of like his right-hand men, right? They, these people got to see things that the others didn't get to experience and Jesus would spend even more time with them. And so he takes them up to a mountain and he's transfigured before them, right? They see Jesus in his glory and man, they're blown away. They're amazed. They're like, first of all, we don't even know if we should be here. Right? This is so overwhelming. This is so great. They're seeing Jesus for who he really was. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are on his side. And now they're thinking like, do we need to build an altar? What do we need to do? We're not real sure about this, right? But then all of a sudden, God speaks. And it's found right here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 7. Listen to what he says. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son. And listen to what God told these men. What did he say to them? He said, listen to what? Listen to Him. We've got to listen to the voice of God. We've got to listen to Him. I love the fact that I get to be a father. I love the fact that I get to uh, have got to experience life and, and see 
God do some incredible things in the life of my children. And I've also had to walk through some difficult times and things of that nature. But my children, man, I love them. I'm thankful that I have grandchildren now and I, I love them. But I remember when my kids were younger and like they would bring their friends and then you just got a whole bunch of kids. Like if you've got a bunch of kids and they got friends, then generally they got a bunch of kids too. And then before you know it, you could have like 15, 16 kids over at your house. But it, it always blew me away that no matter how many kids were in the room, whenever I would hear a certain scream or a cry, or when I would ever hear a distinct voice say, Dad, I knew which one it was. Like, I always knew which child it was. There could be a room of kids going on, but if my kid said something, I would immediately know that. And I say that to say that, listen, our Father in heaven hears your voice. Matter of fact, he says this in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. He said, my sheep know me and I know them and they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We've got to listen to what the Father tells us to do. The wonderful counselor tells us to do. And then here's the last thing. If you guys are still with me, say I am. Not only do we need to listen to what he tells us to do, we have to do what he tells us to do. Here's what I mean by that. It's like, it's one thing to listen. We can read in God's word and we can listen. We can hear from God. God speaks to us. There's things in the Bible like, for example, like some of you may need to forgive. You've been hurt. You've been wronged. And you know what God tells us to do in that moment? To forgive. But boy, that's so hard, isn't it? If you're like me and you have any inner dialogue with God, sometimes I think, but God, I really don't want to. Did you know what they said? Do you know what they did? Lord, do I need to remind you of that? And God's well aware. But he says, listen, if you want to experience healing, you want to experience restoration, you've got to forgive. Well, Lord, listen, my life's a mess, and, and listen, I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to be the best that I can. I'm trying to do my own thing, and, and Lord, I'm trying to be good, and I'm trying to help other people, and listen, I'm trying to work my way toward you, and God said, listen, you need to stop working, and you need to start letting go, and you need to surrender your life to me, and the way that we can have a right relationship with God is not by trying to do all these do's and don'ts and keep all the rules and keep all the regulations. We've got to surrender, we've got to repent of our sin, and we've got to humble ourselves before the Lord, and we've got to give God our life. And in that moment, God saves us, God changes us, He restores us, and He sets us free. That's how we have a right relationship with God. But so many people say, well, that just seems so simple. And God's like, I know. I didn't come to make things complicated. I came to make it simple so that you could be reconciled, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored, so that you could experience God's grace and God's goodness that only He can bring about in our lives. We have to do what the counselor tells us to do. There's all kinds of things in Scripture where the Scripture says, listen, as followers of Jesus, man, we should share what Christ has done in our life. Don't ever be ashamed that the fact that you've been saved, that you've been set free, that you've been forgiven. Other people need to hear that. Other people need to know that. Don't be afraid to stand on God's Word, on God's truth, no matter what everybody else is doing. We've got to do what the counselor tells us to do. Now, it's well documented in this message that I have kids. Because I think I've mentioned them several times throughout this. 
One of them, I'll let them remain anonymous. We've been, we had tried to work on, we, we like to play basketball. Like I grew up playing basketball. My boys play basketball. Taylor played basketball two weeks, and on the second week, I stomped my foot and yelled at her, and she walked over to her mom and cried and never picked it up again. So anyway, we've been going to therapy ever since then, so it's all good. We're working it out. But I, I was, I'm a very competitive person. Like, I, like, you hear things like, people would say all the time, like, well, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game, and I'm like, Shh. It does matter. If it didn't matter, they wouldn't keep score, right? It's like, it does. Like, you, sh- you should play to win. Like, it's... So anyway, I'm, I'm competitive, and, and I love playing sports. I love playing basketball. And so I was a pretty good shooter, so I also coached and things of that nature. And so I was trying to teach one of my children how to shoot the basketball. I've been talking to them that their form was all jacked up. And... So I was telling them, and I was giving them this acronym, it's called BEEF. Some of you, like it stood for balance, eyes, elbow, follow through. So you got to have the right balance. Anyway, we don't, I don't need to explain it to you this morning. Like you, but I was trying to teach him that. It's like, you need to get your mechanics right first. Like if you're going to be a good shooter, it has to start with having good mechanics. Unless you just have ugly form and can absolutely make it, then that's the only time coaches say, keep doing what you're doing. But if you can't make it, then you need to start here with the basics and start in front of the go and just get to where that you can swish it. Tell them, like, feel it rolling off your fingertips, feel it, and then hear it go through the net. Like, you, you need to build that muscle memory and everything. And so anyway, as I was doing that, they're like, this is stupid. You know, it's like, this is so dumb. And besides that, it doesn't feel right. Like, it just feels weird. It doesn't feel natural. And so anyway, they're like, I just need a trainer. Everybody needs a trainer today, right? Everybody's got a trainer for everything. All these parents toting all these kids, all these different trainers and everything. And Like, if you know anything about that, I'm not dogging. If you train, hey, we love you. It's all good, all right? But you go pay somebody. Like, I had to pay like 50 bucks for somebody to train my son in basketball. So we went one time, and I took him. If you guys are with me, say I am. I'm not putting anybody to sleep, okay? All right. This is like therapy for me. We're talking about the one. But anyway, we go over there, and immediately he's like, hey, listen, I want you to shoot. I want to watch you shoot a few, and, you know, I just want to kind of observe, and then we'll kind of talk, and, like, I know where to begin, where to start, and everything. So they shoot, and then the first thing they tell him is like, hey, listen, your form is all jacked up. (laughs) And they said, listen, we're going to start here, and I'm going to give you this acronym and it's called BEEF. It stands for balance, eyes, elbow, follow through. And it's at that moment, like, they looked over at me, and I looked at them because I was sitting, you know, on the bleachers right there, and we made eye contact. And I was reminded of that moment, like, there's a passage in Scripture where Jesus had told Peter, like, hey, listen, you need to be aware. You're going to betray me three times. Peter's like, hey, no way, no how. And then he did, and then in the middle of that third time, he and Jesus' eyes locked. But when Jesus looked at Peter, he was filled with compassion, and he was broken for Peter. When I looked at that individual, my son, I was like, dude, you owe me 50 bucks. Because we could have did this at home. You got to do what the counselor tells you to do. It doesn't matter if it doesn't feel 
the way that you think it should feel. It doesn't matter if it's natural for you to do that. If God says this is how you are to live and this is how you are to receive healing and this is how you have to deal with your sin and this is how you have to come to save in faith in Jesus, then you got to do what the counselor tells you to do. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It matters is if we're willing to humble ourselves for the Lord and saying, God, I believe that you know what's best for me. You know it better than I think what I know is best for me. And so, therefore, I'm going to trust you. Because here's the truth. When nobody else gets you, Jesus does. Even when nobody else gets you, Jesus does. Do what he tells you to do. For some of you, like today, you may need to deal with your sin in your life. It may be secret. Maybe nobody knows anything about it whatsoever. God wants you to bring that to light. God just wants you to bring that before him and say, Lord, I repent of that. Lord, I need help in that. Maybe you need to take a next step. Maybe you need to talk. Maybe you're having trouble and to get a counselor, whatever. I'm just going to deal with that. I'm going to acknowledge it. I'm going to deal with it. Maybe it's forgiveness for spouse, kids, friend, whatever. Maybe you're dealing with resentment and bitterness. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, do what he says to do. For some of you, it could be a call into ministry. For some of you, it could be to follow him in baptism. For some of you, it may be to repent of your sin and, and give and surrender your life and receive salvation by acknowledging that you need Jesus and humbling yourself and asking Him to be the Lord of your life. Do what He tells you to do. And if you do that, you'll experience what only He can do in your life. Just think about Go back to one of my kids. If they would have done what they had been instructed to do, like how further along they could be. But what if, what if we would apply that same principle to our spiritual lives? Where could we be? Where could you be in your own personal life? Where could you be in your marriage? Where could you be in your relationship with God? Where could you be in your relationship with other people? Like, where could you be if you did what the counselor told you to do. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and uh, we pray today, God, that you would speak to us in a very real and personal way. Lord, there's some people here today who are struggling and some people today are hurting. God, I pray that there would be a freedom in this place. Some people here today, God, need to surrender. And what I mean by that, Jesus, is that, Lord, there's, they've never had a time in their life to where that they've humbled themselves before you and ask you to forgive them of their sin. Maybe they just need to be reminded of the scripture in Romans 3.23 when we're talking about being sick. It says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sick. We all fall short. We don't measure up to you. And Lord, your word tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we've earned because of our sin what we deserve because of our sin is death, to be separated from a God all eternity. We deserve hell. But it goes on, it doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God, the gift being Jesus, is eternal life. 
And it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we would confess our sin and believe within our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God had raised him from the dead, it says that we can be saved. So right now here in this place today, some of you may be hearing the voice of God, the wonderful counselor meeting you right in the middle of your sickness, your mess today. And he's saying, listen, I'm not taken by surprise. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm able. And I want to forgive you. I want to restore you. I want to make all things new in your life. But you need to surrender. You need to call on me. And if that's you, would you just pray right now? Would you just pray to God and say, Jesus, forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I believe. I trust. Lord, I surrender everything that I am, everything that I have in this moment. Jesus, I need you. I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you went to the cross. I believe that you gave your life. I believe that you were buried. I believe that you have risen from the dead. I believe that you're coming. I believe that with everything that I am today, Jesus. Forgive me, be the Lord of my life. If you prayed that this morning, would you just raise your hand? Anybody in this place today? Anyone at all? There's a wonderful counselor who'll meet you exactly where you are. Thank you. Anyone else today? God speaking to your heart, speaking to your life today. Today, I'm nailing it down. Today, I'm surrendering my life. Some of us, again, like whatever it is that God's leading us to do, let's be willing to do what that is. Let's be willing to live that out. Take that next step. So Jesus, just have your way in this moment as we get ready to sing, as we get ready to lift our voice. May you be honored and glorified in this place today. And we thank you for loving us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, the name above every name. And everybody said, amen. I want you to.